You know, if I have to fly to, to New York for business, what does my nutrition look like? How do I sleep? What are the, the big roadblocks to living a more fulfilled, self-actualized life? Because unfortunately, this meat carriage is going to be 100 years old. You're going to be 100, so you better plan for it. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey guys, you're on air with Ella, and I have several announcements and things to share with you before we jump into our interview with Dr. Kelly Starrett, but you will want to stick around for that one. He is fascinating. Before we get into that, I want to first answer a reader question. So this was left in an iTunes review. I love that because you actually kill two birds with one stone. Uh, Makosa, that's her iTunes handle, she or he, I think she, based on her content, left a review and in it included a question about agave sweetener. So she recently started using agave sweetener in her coffee because she heard it was a good replacement for sweetener, but now she's hearing that it's actually not great for you and wants to know the truth about agave. So guess what? Agave irritates me because I fell for the whole agave thing. Agave is often touted as the healthy or low GI, that's the glycemic index, low GI alternative to sugar. And it's added to a lot of health foods and energy bars and a lot of things that actually promote that they're sweetened with agave instead of sugar or honey or something like that. But guess what? Agave is very, very highly processed from the plant in which it originates, and it is super high in fructose. So agave can be as much as 90% fructose. To put that into perspective for you, raw sugar is 50% fructose. High fructose corn syrup is 55% percent fructose. So agave at 90% fructose is not a healthier option. Your better option, Makosa, is raw, natural honey in baked goods or in things that you might be making. And then in your coffee, find a better source. I'm getting used to stevia and I will actually link to the brand that I'm using because stevia can be quite bitter. And I'm going to link to the one that I finally landed on that works in my coffee pretty well. So thank you for that reader question. Now, I have three questions out to you guys right now. And those questions are, what is one habit you are trying to break? What is one habit you are trying to create? Those came out of the episode that I did with Gretchen Rubin. There will be a lot more on that topic coming soon. So I still want to hear from you. And then I also asked, what discrepancies in the food, fitness, wellness, etc., in those realms, what discrepancies are driving you crazy? Like when somebody says, don't eat carbs in the morning ever, or you should only eat carbs in the morning, or the completely conflicting advice that you hear in health, wellness, food, fitness, blah, 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 blah. What is actually driving you crazy? Talk to me because we will start addressing those on the show as well. Well, you might be asking, how can I ask you these questions, Ella? And let me tell you, you can ask me in so many ways. You can shoot me a note in the Facebook comments. You can comment on any post. You do not have to comment on the show where I actually ask you these questions. You can, I read everything. So it doesn't matter where you ping me there. Okay. The other thing you can do now is you can go to onairwithella.com 
and you can leave me a voicemail, which I love because I can share your voicemail on the air. So if you don't want me to do that, you need to tell me. But all you do is go to onairwithella.com and you look for the little button, the floating around button on the right side that says record a message and it's free. It takes just a minute. You record a message to me and I get it. It's lovely. And the only thing that I discovered about that since I added it, it just went live just uh, very recently, maybe last week, is when you do that from your phone, it makes you download the SpeakPipe app. And it's free, but that was a little bit of a barrier that I didn't know existed. So sorry. You have to download the app if you want to do this from your phone. But if you're at a computer, just click on the button, leave me a voicemail, easy peasy. Okay. So again, I love when you leave me questions and comments in the iTunes reviews because it's a time saver for you. You're you're able to support the show with your review and I am able to get your feedback. So those of you who have left questions like Dorsalonius, <laughs> your handles crack me up. I don't know what that means. Dorsalonius left me a question that I'm going to drop into a future show. So thank you for that. I want to also, though, just highlight the review of the week. So this is from Be Healthy with Mel, and he or she says, I love this podcast. I discovered this a few weeks ago when Mel Juwan was a guest and went back and listened to every episode. She's talking about Melissa who wrote Well Fed. Mel, Melly Mel, malicious. Anyway, she says, Ella has a great attitude, positive about being healthy, yet still a real woman. Well, yeah. She is funny and relatable. I am able to take something away from every episode. Keep up the amazing work, Ella. Your fans appreciate appreciate it. Smiley face. Thank you so much. That means a great deal to me. And I just want you all to know that I read every single thing that you send me. So you might not actually hear your comment read back to you for weeks and weeks and weeks, but it's not going into the abyss. I read everything and I can't thank you enough for taking the time. It means a lot to me. So it's been fun hearing from you guys on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and now on my voicemail capability on the site. So that's great. Okay, let me introduce Dr. Kelly Starrett to you. He wrote the book called Becoming a Supple Leopard best title ever. And that book is like a blueprint on moving and maintaining agility and movement and and really short version, not getting old, stiff and cripply feeling when you get out of bed. So if you are making a noise when you get up out of a chair or when you wake up in the morning and it sounds something like this, this show is for you. Okay. He wrote another book for all my runners. I want you to know it's out there. It's called Ready to Run. And he took his revolutionary movement and mobility philosophy and he focused on the injury plagued world of running. And we don't get into that book on the show. I'm going to have him back on to talk about that, but I just wanted to let you know that that existed as well. So Kelly has an enormous amount of accomplishments. He's a coach, a physical therapist. He's an author, a speaker. He is the creator of Mobility Wad. That's a blog that is absolutely world renowned at this point. He was featured in Tim Ferriss's book, The Four Hour Body. He is a world champion competitive athlete, as is his wife. He coaches Olympic gold medalist, Tour de France cyclists, and other athletes, including NFL players, CrossFit Games medalists. The list goes on and on and on. I am going to put so many resources in the show notes for this show, including multiple videos that he's done. Because if you are athletic in any way, if you're what he calls an executive athlete, which is someone who works, 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 and then goes out and runs or goes and hits the gym, this is the man for you. Now, don't be 
turned off and don't shy away if you are not into hardcore fitness in any way. Because what I spend the bulk of my time talking to Kelly about is how we can stand, how we can sit, how we can move, how we can travel on airplanes, how we can sit in our car, work in our car, work at our desk, and still maintain our supple leopardness. So that applies to everybody. I really hope you enjoy the show. Kelly is a force of nature and extremely knowledgeable, and I know you'll get something out of this show. Here we go. Hey guys, you're on air with Ella, and today I am joined by Dr. Kelly Starrett. Hey Kelly, how you doing? I am so well, thank you so much. I enjoyed our pre-chat. I'm still picturing you on the TRX straps at the gym in a pink tutu, so thank you for that. Uh, yeah, you know, people don't understand that uh, there is a fine art to training, and that is called fun. And uh, there is a lot of silly stuff that you can incorporate into your routine that has nothing to do with fitness, but everything to do with making you feel like the ass that you really are. Well, that's why I wanted to talk with you, Kelly, because not only are you a world champion athlete, a strength and conditioning coach, a doctorate of physical therapy, an author, a speaker, one of the first movers and authorities in CrossFit. Do I need to go on here, Kelly? Uh, that's, you said nothing about my amazing wife or family or, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's a, it's a fine start. It's a fine start for those of us, maybe those people who haven't run into us yet. You know, I'm that crazy guy with his kids in the background talking about, uh, your crappy ankle range of motion. (laughs) Yeah, you're that guy. So guys, Kelly revolutionized how athletes think about human movement and athletic performance. And he's worked with Olympians and world champions, including his wife, Juliet. He works with the athletically elite. Even Tim Ferriss, who I thought would get a kick out of being mentioned right after the Athletically Elite. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that guy's, that guy's a world champion too, I think. You know, it's all fine. It's fine. That's fair. But, That's fair. More importantly, this is, this is actually, you know, sometimes it's easy to get the hook in with, hey, we've worked with the world's best athletes. But it's crucial to understand that the only reason that matters is that we get to see best practice, sort of Formula One concept of how, what's the best way to move, what's the best way to hydrate, and we've got to take those lessons back into the world and apply them to our children, apply them to our moms and dads and friends. The only thing that matters is in the information that gives us across platforms. In fact, if you, if you see a coach who actually can't work with kids and who can't suddenly drop in and, and, and deal with an injured person plus you know, work up at the highest level, then you're, you're really seeing some incomplete thinking there because you have to be able to apply principles across cohorts, across different populations, and it's precisely those differences that allow us to make massive gains and best practices across so many different people. Kelly, that's what you do better than anyone else that I have studied. You apply elite concepts to the everyday. Like you tr- you're translating the learnings from the elite to the masses so that we too can live long, agile, and in a word you use, skilled lives. And I can't wait to tell people what you mean by that. Excellent. Well, you know, it, it, it's true. And, uh, you know, at some point you find yourself, you're not 22. Um, you know, believe it or not, you, you grow out of that phase and you probably end up with some kids or in a relationship or in a busy job and traveling. And, you know, and I, I think what we've seen is real the, the decay of physical practice. And then there's so much information. I mean, sometimes I get on my Twitter feed and I become depressed because there are 27,000 gurus and, you know, shed fat fast. And it really feels like a really disparate environment. 
and it's hard to get the good information about what what is best practice and then what does it look like day to day you know if i have to fly to to new york for business what does my nutrition look like how do i sleep what what are the 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 big roadblocks to living a more fulfilled self actualized life because unfortunately this meat carriage is going to be 100 years old you're going to be 100 so you better plan for it and you know i think we have accepted for a long time that boy this thing just wears out and then pretty soon you're just you know we're we're we've been reduced to doing low impact pool aerobics Kelly's written at least two manifestos that I'm aware of, Kelly. One is becoming a supple leopard and two is ready to run. So today we want to talk about becoming a supple leopard and what that means really is what you're saying. You said our meat carriage, our physical body, like getting us to year 90, year 100 and still having mobility, right? And still being in our bodies and not accepting stiffness and lack of motion and a complete lack of range of motion, uh, you know, by the time we're 50, which is what so many of us are looking at right now. Well, you know, at risk of sounding macabre, one of the experiences I've had as a physical therapist is working in a hospital setting. And one of the things that we see in the hospital setting is that as people get to end of life or get with serious pathology, one of the things that happens is that the world starts to get a lot smaller. I think a lot of times we accept that there are just things that we're not going to do. You know, I remember being at a, a table with one of my friends in high school who was a really good runner, and one of our friend's dads came up, and he was like, hey, you guys enjoy that running now because when you're 40, your knees are shot and you're done. You know, and we were like, what? That's what? No way. You can't. I, we're runners. And if you've ever gone and seen a physician with a bad problem, literally, so last year I had a, a pretty bad ski injury where I put my femur through my tibia. And when I went into, when I went in to go see the the doc because I have two big bony lesions in there, you know, his advice was, hey, what I would recommend is just biking and swimming until we replace your knee. That was his advice. And and the reason I show that is that is not that his advice isn't well meaning, and that we really want people to be durable to the end, but that the conversation has evolved much in a, in a much more profound way. That if we can maintain good mechanics and tissue health. And that means when I say tissue health, it means you can't be stressed out. You can't sleep six hours a night. You can't be chronically inflamed. You've got to eat food regularly, right? Then if we're managing those things, then I start to see better tissue health. And if I'm moving correctly, then suddenly the conversation, even if I have a history of injury, is is a little bit more sophisticated than only do things that are in this tiny window of motion. You know, because if I if I followed his advice and only biked and only swam, then I would be very prepared to go downstairs or go for a hike or be, you know, 60, you know, because I, what am I going to do? So that, you know, so the idea here is we need to give people a basic set of tools to help them understand this is what good movement is. Here's how it impacts your life day to day. Here's what a good movement practice looks like, a physical practice, which includes learning how to breathe and taking care of your tissues and exercising and getting stronger, right? All of those things are part of physical practice. Finally now, I'd say in the last 10 years, that language has evolved. Now we have a way of transmitting that information. It's called the internet. <laughs> exactly. Enter on air with Ella. Um, Kelly, something that you said today, we're going to talk a great deal about movement because this is right in your wheelhouse and it's where I want to go with you. But what was so interesting about what you just said is you started with food and you said people need to eat food. And I think that you meant 
real food. Can you elaborate on that really quickly insofar as is that number one? Is that first? Is it more important? I, I would say food quality has got to be such a big piece of the conversation. One of the reasons is uh, we, we start with food. You know, the human being is designed as a scavenger. I mean, we can eat anything. And I, I tell this story somewhere, it may even be in the book, where I got into an elevator in uh, Vegas with one of my friends, and this woman came in who was very, very heavy, and she was chain smoking, and she had like a bag of donuts, I swear, and one of those two-foot Budweiser's, you know? And she was stoked out of her mind and flirting us up, and you know, and, and we were flirting her up, and I was, we, she, the door closed, and we were, we were like, wow, look how awesome humans are, like... You can suck all that up and still feel good. And I think <laughs> We're that's really hard to kill. <laughs> we are. We are. When you're early on in your career, you take a little bit more severe stance than you do later on because you, you see how the world works. And, you know, and I, I'm happy to discuss perfect paleo nutrition with anyone who also has some kids and a job. And, you know, I mean, because, because what ends up happening is we, we see that I have best monk practice and then I have. How do I apply those principles to an actual life? Because my kids are not going, you know, it's a little trickier. So I think one of the keys here for people is to say, what are you controlling today? And what aspects of your physical self, right? The manifestation, which is also fueling and, and nutrition and food and food quality and enjoyment of food. And, you know, that's something that even if I'm not training, my nutrition is part of the thing that helps me go to sleep and have nice skin and not break out and, and feel good and not have my knees ache. And, you know, it's not that I don't eat pizza once in a while, but I just deal with the diarrhea on the other side. So, <laughs> you know, my, my point is that I think if we, we, we can set basic principles and it's easy to eat a lot of food-like things. You know, pasta is a food-like thing. Bread is a food-like thing. But eating real whole foods. And one of the things that we do for our endurance athletes is we say, hey, we want you to try to get like a gram of protein per pound body weight. That's, that's a basic guideline. So 0.8 or 0.75 to 1 gram, which means you're just going to have to make sure that you have some high-quality lean protein with every meal. That's all that means, right? You can't skip a meal without protein. But all, also in there, did you eat eight fists of vegetables today? Just, you know, make a fist and eat eight of those today. And let me know how that goes for you. Let me know if you're full. Let me know if you're, st you're starving. What you're going to see is that, holy crap, I need to eat way more vegetables than I'm eating, and I need to make sure that I'm getting high-quality foods. And that's actually a pretty simple step. And when you start flipping that onto people and you get them off the, the Starbucks you know, sausage sandwich, you know, you know, which is an emergency fake-like food, right? That's not a real food, is that we start to see massive changes in the system. So now we're saying, okay, now we've got some basic food-like principles nailed down. And then we can say, well, you know, what does the rest of it look like? Well, what ends up happening is we end up splitting hairs about what is the most elite way and my perfect training split and how to optimize this because there's so much information versus did you do something physical today, yes or no, one or zero? And uh, lately, especially in working with moms and dads and people with newborns and, and busy jobs and startups, we live in San Francisco, so we just see the startup mentality, you know? And, and by the way, I think the allegory for all this, the, the metaphor that just is so offensive is this thing called Soylent. Have you seen this? No. So a, a startup guy basically was like, can we manufacture a shake, a meal oh, replacement oh, that, shake. Oh, like that bag of gray mush. That's yes. Yes. Ugh. And and basically they've said, hey, look, 
if you just eat this, then you can just focus on. And I'm like, that is not a food. Like, what are you doing? You know, part of being a human is food. And I think that's the problem is that we, we, we are like, well, I go out and smash myself on my bike. And then I, you know, I lift as heavy weights as I can. And, you know, there are no shortcuts in your physiology. You cannot cheat it. You know, you have to sleep enough. You have to get enough vitamin D. You know, you've got to drink enough water and absorb that water. You, there's just some basic errors that we see people make. And food is one of them. Not moving all the way through full ranges of motion regularly is one of them. And then once we have those things on board, then we can start saying, well, what do you want to do? You know, like you can't do five pull-ups. Well, let's start with some real basics so that we can then have an enlightened conversation. Well, let's back up even from there. And let me ask you one question. I've got a bunch of questions from my peeps and I want to run through them with you, Kelly. Here's question number one. What functional movements should everybody at any age be able to do? In other words, like how do we know if there's something we can't do, how do we know that that's a problem? So is there any motion that everybody at any age should be able to do? Yes, you should have full physical capacity at any age. Of course, your tissues get stiff, so maybe we the loads come down, and, and you know, and you lost some disc height, so maybe you're only deadlifting 500 instead of 600, you know, when you're in your 60s. But I, I don't think that there's a top end limit. You know, look at the women and the older guys kicking ass at the triathlon in age 60s and 70s. Like, if you can do an Ironman in your 70s, like, shut up. You know, my, my auntie is a, you know, is a medalist at the Ironman at like age 65. Wow. You know, that's, that's ridiculous. Like when we go running together, she, it's, a, it's not really fun for me because she's talking and I can barely keep up with my 65-year-old auntie, you know. And I think the, the point is that we start taking our eye off of the functional. And when I say functional, I'm saying the movement practice early on. And so th those windows slowly start to close, and then all of a sudden you get this shocker. So let me ask you this. At what point should, you, should a person be able to bend down and pick something up off the ground? At what point do you think that becomes not important? Well, how about keeping your back flat and picking something up off the ground? You know, like a planter or a kid or your friend. Like at what point – do we say, hey, I shouldn't be able to do this functional, whether I'm picking up a barbell or a ball or my laundry, you know, we should be practicing those skills because those are the things that I'm going to need. The number one reason people end up in nursing homes is they can't get up off the ground anymore. That's number one. If that is the, the baseline, what point did we think that wasn't important? All the time, you know, physicians are like, hey, I want you to be easy on your joints, go swim. I'm like, well, you're just told someone to go swim who doesn't even have full range of motion in their shoulders. And unfortunately, if you can't put your arms over your head, then swimming just creates another set of problems. So if we established a movement baseline, basic competency for some very fundamental archetypal positions, then what ends up happening is that if I can hit those effortlessly, then, then it's, it's just an issue of training and technique and practice. Great. But we're, we're seeing people show up with greater and greater tissue restrictions, greater and greater movement incompetencies for whatever reason. You know, you wore high heel shoes for 20 years as an attorney and all of a sudden you wonder why you can't squat with your heels on the ground. Well, so we know that given enough time and enough consistency, we see massive changes. I had this, I've quoted this before, I had a physical therapy instructor and she said, hey look, 
muscles and tissues are like obedient dogs. And she was the head of pediatrics at UCSF, right, for physical therapy. Muscles and tissues are like obedient dogs. It means they always come around. It may be a year process. It may be two years, but it's a process. So it should always be a process. And I should have enough competency as a human to identify that if I can't squat all the way down, like I'm going to take a poo in the woods, right, or use a bathroom in a third world country, then I have a problem. Right, that's that's incomplete hip range of motion, incomplete ankle range of motion. But if you don't engage in a movement practice that that confronts all of those limitations regularly, the stark reality is that you will fail, or you'll get injured, or you'll compensate, and and that that is not a mystery. So you know, it, I I want to shift the burden back onto us and make this a lot more ubiquitous and a lot easier to start to digest, so that when you go out and can train, that you can do what you want to do. Wow. I want to share two anecdotes with you and get your feedback. So two years ago, or maybe even it was last season, last triathlon season, I couldn't squat. I don't mean squat at the gym. I mean, I couldn't squat below parallel, like a farmer squat, you know, like you said, I couldn't, I couldn't eat dinner in Thailand. And that really alarmed me and I addressed it. And now I can completely do that. No problem. But I was too tight. I have a ton of friends and family members and listeners who I don't think and they're fit and they're active or they're unfit. It doesn't matter. It absolutely doesn't matter. They cannot, and I want everybody to try this, sit down on their floor, lie all the way down, and then kind of bounce back up, like in quick time without making a sound or a face. I don't, I think it would shock people to realize how far away they are from just that one movement, Kelly. You know, what's interesting is that I agree that you should be able to put your feet together and squat all the way down. It doesn't matter who you are, you should be able to do that. And, you know, and that's, that's all I'm, all I'm asking you to do is express normal range of motion, normal, not, not excessive, just the baselines, including this one standard deviation for humans, you should be able to squat down and without your heels coming up off the ground. I think people are shocked that they're, if you put your feet together, that their feet turn out, that their knees come in that their back reverses, that they get pushed backwards. And to your point is that, you know, we, we lose that capacity because we don't, we don't use it. And if you look at what happens in a typical day-to-day for people, I advocate, I'm like, hey, look, try to spend 10 minutes a day in the bottom position of your squat. Just like work on the floor, you know, spend some time down there. And there's a lot of miraculous things that will happen, in, in, including, uh, you know, being able to <laughs> be in that position. But, you know, I think what ends up happening is that we, we go through our lives, we get up from the bed, we, you know, we sit at the table, we sit at the, the chair, we don't, we don't ever use that range of motion, suddenly it goes away. So one of the things that happened you know, as this year we flipped our school and now our, our daughters will be going to the first all standing school in the world in the fall. And we got rid of, we, we, with, with the school and the administrations, with the, with the staff, basically, and all the research has supported that, Hey, if you don't think sitting for eight hours a day is good for you, it's probably not good for your kids. And so we did four pilot classrooms last year. And this year we have the entire school flipped. And one of the things that we're really stoked about to, to standing desks, you mean to standing desks. And don't oh, get me wrong, we're not we're not making cashiers. People like stand all day. The kids lean against the desk. The foot is up. Their elbows are up. They're all blocked. We have this bar at the bottom that swings, so kids are in constant motion, and they only work in about fifteen minute blocks anyway. But one of the great things, to your point about the squatting, is that if kids are tired, then they're free to sit on the ground and work. And one of the things that we've done. By getting them out of the chair, which is a, which is an aberration on human function anyway to begin with the chair, is that we've created a movement-rich environment. And so, you know, my my point is we should be engaged. So if you look at something like 
sun salutation in yoga, right? That's a quick, easy way that someone figured out a long, long time ago that, hey, let's take our bodies through a full range of motion. Let's get our respiration set up. Let's get the mechanics of the stabilizing your spine. And let's make sure that the body is touching all the corners of the things we should do really quickly. That's literally what sun salutation is, right? It's kind of genius. And you're like, let's, let's break off the fuzz and the, the stiffness from the sleep and let's move a little bit. And, and I, I, really, what we can say is I don't have to engage in yoga. I have to engage in making sure that I'm, I'm maintaining the integrity of being a physical human. And there are a lot of ways to do that. I want to be very clear. I really like the, the weightlifting, cardiorespiratory demand, gymnastics thing that we do in CrossFit. I just find it to be the most intellectually interesting. I find it to be the most sustainable. I've been doing it for 12 years. I'm not burned out. I'm very, it's very interesting. It preps me to do crazy things, right? But if you like swinging a kettlebell or you like going to Soul Cycle and, and you deadlift and you go to a yoga class, there are a lot of ways to cobble together something that looks pretty complete. Well, let's bring this home to the people that I know are listening. And I've got two examples for you. Philip has a full-time office job and is a runner. He stretches most days like to run a little bit, but, and says, isn't my activity level enough? I think he's like a marathonist runs 30, 30 miles or more a week. And then you've got Julia, whose husband is a police officer. So he's in a car all day and they're both saying, well, what am I supposed to do? Like I get up, I drive in my car or I ride the train, then I work. And they're not going to let me walk on a treadmill while I work. And then I drive home. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like, like what do you, where do these people start? What do they need to do? Well, you know, I think one of the key concepts here is that around the running is that I want people to have sports. And if running is your thing, great, be a responsible runner. Can you run and deadlift? Do you know, do, can you deadlift? Can you swing a kettlebell? Can you squat all the way down and run? So you may need to give up some of your running time. And don't get me wrong, I know people are addicted to their, their aerobic work. What I can tell you is that if running is amazing and it's cardiorespiratory demand, impact, right, you have to be able to run. Running is a, a seminal base human function. Like people are like, I don't like running. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't like, you don't like being a human? Like we're designed to run. Even if it's short distances, you need to practice that as a skill. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard you say, Kelly, sorry to interrupt you, but I've heard you say, just to bring this home for people who are like, forget it, you lost me at running. You're talking about like playing with your kids or playing basketball with your buddies. Or you're not talking about everybody signing up for a half marathon, are you? No, no. And, and everyone should be able to go, you as a good baseline, this is how low the bar is. You should be able to go run a 5K. Like, you, what do you mean you can't run 3.2 miles? Like, we have big problems. I mean, that's 20 minutes of, 25 minutes of aerobic output. You know what I mean? It's not that hard. And... You know, I, I think what happens is if you're only running and then you're only working, once again, you have sort of a very a movement poor environment. So with the police officer, with the runner, part of our, our model is this, is that you know what your problems are, but you don't, you're not, you don't have a schema or a practice to work on them. So part of a mobility practice is to make sure that I can do these positions at home and then I work on them for 10 to 15 minutes a day. So we have put out so much information about police officers, LEO. I have spoken at more police departments and more firefighting you know, departments about chronic sitting because our officers basically have to sit, 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 yep. then stand, stand up and interact and run. And that causes immense amounts of low back dysfunction. Like I can't – like the, if you're a cop, you're basically signing up for lumbar dysfunction if you're not on it. 
Kelly, I have to say, you're you're talking about people who also have office jobs all day. You know, they well, might right. be executives, and then they go play basketball. Isn't it exactly the same thing? It's it's exactly the same thing. So I think what we have found in our clinical experience is that if we get people working on their positions and mechanics 10 to 15 minutes a day, every day, and that's easy at home with a glass of wine in front of your TV, you know, it's really simple to start a, a, a positional quality practice. But we are talking about just the baseline of can you get into these positions unweighted, yes or no. And if you can't, then we have a problem. And if you're running and maintaining a, a movement-based practice, you know, you're, you're going to run faster. And I think that sort of gets lost in the conversation here. This is not about injury prevention. This is about performance. That, you know, if you sit in a, a, a cruiser all the time with your utility belt on, I guarantee you're going to be, you're, your running is going to be compromised. You're just going to be slower. Why? Because you're in this other shape that's anathema to running. So if you can get people home and beginning a conversation, then what we're doing is we're shifting the burden back onto ourselves. And it's remarkable how much change can happen by yourself in your in your garage. Okay, so let me recap and make sure I'm understanding. And by the way, I think it's beautifully thematic that there's actually an emergency siren behind you. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, you know, it's, that's right. Cue, cue music. Thank you for bringing your own sound effects, Kelly Starrett. Okay, so I want to break this down and just like take it from Kelly is so knowledgeable and you know, I'm a third grader. So let's talk USA Today version here. We're talking to people who are sitting in their offices all day or sitting in their environment all day, you know, pilots, police officers, executives, um, even moms who spend their life in their minivan. So let's talk to all of them. It's not that hard to move your body during the day. It's just that it's not a part of our culture. I, I think that's part of it. I think the idea is you have to have a movement practice and that movement practice should happen every day. And it can be very varied and different. And that movement practice can, can include making sure that you're wearing a flat shoe. That movement practice can include that when I get a chance, like right now I am squatting in the chair next to the table. Right? And that means that I'm taking advantage of my positions or my or my situation mm -hmm. to, to make sure that I'm exposing myself to these end range positions. So if I was going to even make it simpler, I'd say, hey, look, Let's just see if your tissues are normal. Well, how do I know if I have a normal tissue? Well, take a ball of any kind, uh, not a hollow ball, but some kind of, you know, baseball, lacrosse ball, something hardish, and put it on your quads. Put it in your butt, uh, on your butt, or slip. <laughs> put it, put it on your lats. Put it on some part of your body, and completely relax into it. And if you are experiencing pain around that device or that ball, that foam roller at all then you have found dysfunctional tissue. That's how simple this is. If you find pain to compression in any one of your tissues, the tissues are not normal. So if you lay down, you know, on, just kind of sit down, put your legs in front of you and put your heel on a, on a wine bottle and then cross your legs to get a little more weight on there and go side to side. If it feels like beef jerky, it's not normal. If it hurts to compression, it's not normal. And what you're seeing is that you have tissues that are under tension, and that's like driving your Ferrari with the handbrake on. No part of your body should be painful to compression. What you're finding is that as soon as you initiate that conversation, you're going to be shocked at how restricted and how stiff your tissues are generally. And that, that sets up a whole bunch of problems where people are shut down in their positional awareness, their proprioception, no wonder we fall more, we're stiff, we can't even tell if we're rounding our back because our bodies sort of in, become encased in this connective tissue cage. And 
most of the pain symptoms we see, I think, are mainly myofascial. They're uh, an interface of the connective tissue or the muscular part. And some real simple soft tissue work does a, tra- a dramatic change in, in how those tissues operate and function. They just get stiff. So s- soft tissue work could be anything from like rolling on that lacrosse ball to massage. What does that entail? Well, it, it can be anything. You can, like I said, roll on a roller, roll on a lacrosse ball. You know, you, you know you're not going to get a massage every day, unfortunately. Darn it. Right? And unfortunately, when you lay down in a massage, you're not actually taking your bodies into positions that look like the positions we need to change. So, for example, one of the things that we do in the book and that we just put out the second edition of Supple Leopard is one of the things every human should be able to do is put their arms over their head with full range of motion. And if you can't do that, then put yourself to the closest range of motion that you can over your head and then work on the tissues of your body in that position. So people are like, well, how do I improve my overhead position? I'm like, well, put your arm over your head, lay on the ground with your arm over your head, and then smash or roll on anything that relates to your arm being over your head. And what ends up happening is that when we put ourselves into the position of emphasis, or we actually mimic the the shape we're trying to change, then we can actually work on the tissues in that position and we see a bigger outcome. Okay. That's, That's why ART works active release therapy because you're actually moving into a specific position and you're addressing the myofascial dysfunction at that shape. You want somebody to stretch their arms overhead and test and see if they have full range of motion. You want them to touch their toes and see if they can touch their toes. You want people to squat down and see if they can or how far they can and how much it hurts or doesn't hurt. And can they lie down on the floor and get back up? Like, would that be a sample of movements that would be useful to try and sort of do your own self-assessment? Touching your toes is not important. Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) But but you should be able to pick something up off the ground with your back being completely flat. I mean, even like the flipping groceries. (laughs) Especially the flipping groceries. Because what we see, people are not paying attention to the quality of their movement. You know, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. You know, Musashi is this famous Japanese swordsman who lived about 400 years ago. And he said, 400 years ago, your combat stance is your everyday stance. That how you move in the world is how you're going to move when you're under tension or load. And so suddenly, you know, you, it's not like you have a perfect back and great squat mechanics all the time when you train. And then in the world, like you're on the bike, it's okay to round your back. And when you ski, it's okay for you to be all flat. No, those things we train are not only are we getting stronger and fitter, but we're also training movement patterns that support us and the actual things that we do. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because so many people in my community are executives, people who work office and airplane jobs. I'm talking about fit people who cannot bend their bodies. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And what ends up happening is we see a lot of, you know, I work in that field and we see a lot of triathletes and, you know, what we see is that we see a lot of overuse, simple soft tissue injuries that are just resulting from, you know, stiffness. It's a, it's a stiffness related problem. You know, the problem is, you know, running and biking, swimming is, these are incomplete movement practices. And, you know, what we see is a lot is we do something we call the couch stretch, which is just getting down, putting one knee in the corner of a wall, adopting a lunge position. And basically it's an exaggerated running shape. That's all we're doing. We're taking Okay, wait, wait. Let me get the picture right. You're put you're standing against the wall and you're kind of bringing one knee up and pressing it against the wall? No, you're on your knees, oh, facing on away your from, knees. Facing away from the wall. 
right? Oh, and I would have been doing that all wrong. Okay, you're on so your knees. <laughs> facing away from the wall. Okay. You, you put one of your knees in the corner, so your leg, your lower leg is going up the wall, and okay. your knees in the corner, and then the other leg comes up into a lunging shape. And it's it's called, we call it the couch stretch because you can do it on your couch. You okay, and I'm sure you have a video, and I'm sure I'm going to link a, to it. There's a million. Okay. But the idea is you're going to see that people's hips are so short their quads are so short, anterior hip is so short that they can't even get into this basic position, much less an exaggerated version of this position. Okay. And this position is the running shape. It's the end position of running. And what you, then I'm like, hey, squeeze your butt. And people are like, my butt doesn't squeeze. And I'm like, precisely. Because you're so tight, your butt has turned off. It's, it's basically inhibited your glutes because your hips are so short. And so no wonder you're having all this back problem, you're not very powerful, et cetera, et cetera. You've just put yourself into a position where your, your body doesn't work and now, let's just say that you're an office person and then you are on the bike for a billion hours and you go try to run. What happens when you transition from the bike to the run? How crippled do you feel? Oh, I can tell you. Let me describe it to you. I can't stand up. I, my From hips up, I'm at a 45 degree angle That's from right. where I should be. <laughs> I love, you know, I, uh, I'm not going to say that when I finished that six and a half hour paddle where I was sitting, <laughs> I also was bent over in half. And, yeah. uh and crippled and like it took me a little while to uncripple myself and I, I I made a joke with my wife I was like now I'm gonna go run a marathon and she, we were like ha 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 right? like, <laughs> it was so we were so so devastated and the point is if you don't have the normal baseline range of motion anyway what happens then when you're already in deficit and then you're on the bike and then you go to run like your running sucks and your back is smoked so these are the things I should be able to do if I can't do them it's not a value judgment. It's, hey, this range of motion is incomplete. It goes on my list and I start working on it. The same way I work on my sleep every day, the same way I'm conscious about what I eat. Suddenly we have a recipe for durability. We have a recipe for resiliency. We have a recipe for performance. All right, so my listeners know that we need to invest in what we're putting in our mouths. It doesn't mean we always do. We know fundamentally that we need to invest in what we're putting in our mouths or it kind of all goes to hell from there. What you're saying is you need to invest in your movement practice if I'm hearing you correctly. The real reason we train is so we can have an adaptation to the training stimulus, right? From flying across the country to running a marathon to you know, whatever it is, playing pickup soccer. You know, I always kid around that basketball is the most dangerous sport for middle-aged men in the world. You know, all of a sudden, they're not just running, they're running fast and changing direction. And guess what? We see more Achilles tears from pickup basketball than any other sport anywhere. Like, it is a recipe for disaster. But if you're, if you have full range of motion in your ankles and you're jumping rope and your tissues aren't stiff, you shouldn't have to worry about, you know, tweaking yourself you know, playing basketball. Why? Because your movement practice inoculates you from those things instead of just getting stiff and stiff and stiff and then exploding, which is what we do. Okay. Rapid fire. What's the best way to sit when you do have to sit in a chair? At the edge of the chair with your feet on the ground so that you're, you're organized. You have to have your belly on and you're, you know, a little bit, right? The, the problem when you sit is that you, you've knocked out two of the three stabilizing mechanisms. And so you don't have torsion through the hip. You don't have your butt to help you, your mid-range. So you're basically balancing back and forth. I think you should be active, which means sitting on the edge of the chair, trying to hold yourself up, and then kind of kick your legs out in front of you as far as you can. That's going to be the best position. Okay. Best way to stand. In yoga, we call it tadasana, which is a good standing pose, right? And that's feet under lungs, big toes on the ground, weight evenly distributed through the foot. But 
what I would recommend for most people who are standing a long period of time is to look for something to put your foot on. So if you have to stand around, in fact, you're not at a standing work desk until you have a place to put your foot. And as soon as you put your foot up on something, then you can play and maintain a much better position. So here's an example. Uh, Bob Weir, you know, the Grateful Dead, they've just been touring. It's been a big deal, right? They've got their big show together. But if you look at the stage, Bob Weir has some plyo boxes that he leans against and then also has a place to put his foot so that he can stand and maintain these good positions. Why? Because he's an athlete who works with us. I'm really glad you brought this up because some people think that now standing all day is what you do. You're saying you move all day. There's a big difference. That's right. That's right. And and standing at least gives us an, uh, an opportunity to move, right? Gets keeps exactly. keeps us engaged. So I like to have a, a bar stool because I put one of my feet up on the bar stool. I lay my leg across the bar stool. I, I lean against the bar stool. And what it ends up doing is I create a movement-rich environment. So when we say your best position is your next position, so I should I should be – you know, just like sitting is evil, so is being static. You know, you, you, all you have to do is fly on an airplane and look down at your cankles to understand what I'm talking about. Your, your muscles clear congestion through contraction. That's how we, we clear our lymphatics. And if you just sit, your, your, your tissues swell up. So what we need people to do is be moving a little bit. The solution is not a treadmill desk. That is stupid. That is not scalable. That doesn't work. If you want to invest all that money in a treadmill at your home, you go for it. But that is not a long-term solution. What's a long-term solution is giving people options at their desk that doesn't include both feet down. You got to put your foot up on something. Well, and also just, just a quick, a couple quick tips. If you're in an office and um, you can stand up while you're on the phone, you can squat down while you're on the phone, you can move around, put one foot on your desk while you're on the phone. And the other thing is these stand up desks are all the rage. And I just literally just bought like a $50 tabletop that I put on top of my huge desk. And then I just go between standing and sitting and sitting on my blue ball and, and, <laughs> and right. that sort of, we, it doesn't have to be fancy. Does it? Kelly? No, 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 definitely not. In fact, if your if your office is one of those offices that you know won't support you, what I rec you know in terms of standing up and moving, and we are seeing a wholesale change in in the culture on this, is that what I recommend is getting like a dirty box that used to carry meat and has like meat sauce stains on it. <laughs> Put that on your desk, and in, I guarantee you within a week you'll have some kind of standing iteration. I love it. Maybe leave one piece of meat in there, and it'll happen oh, faster. Oh, for sure. What, what is that? Oh, it's my desk. But the, the, the baseline is, look, you're, you're designed to be in constant motion. You should be walking. You know, one of the things that my wife and I do a lot of is we walk our kids to school, and that's a 5K in the morning. We're lucky that we have the time to do that, and it's part of our routine. And I think what we see is that most people don't have a lot of enough non-exercise activity and which means just being active. That's not training. That's right, just, just am moving. I, am I, that's right. Am I, you know, being a human being? Yes or no. And what we're seeing is that people are, are basically sedentary and then they go to the gym and smash themselves and then become sedentary again. And that's a recipe for disaster. Okay. Two more rapid fires. Best way to fly on an airplane. Cause a lot of our people do, including myself. Uh, that'd be first class. <laughs> and the, the idea is, you know, stay hydrated, you know, don't eat a – you know, one of my friends who's a very responsible uh, researcher at Harvard is like, Kelly, let me just spell it out for you. When you travel, he's like, don't drink wine, don't eat cookies. And I was like, wow, that's that's revolutionary. And, and you just kinked my lifestyle. But, you know, the idea is what can I control? Well, what works great is trying to eat real food and stay away from alcohol and, and sugar. You know, what can I control right now? Okay, can I go for a walk? And more importantly, when I get off the airplane – when I get back to the hotel, I do some things, some gut smashing, some, some mobilizations in my hip 
that allows me to get rid of the feeling that I had from after sitting for so so long. Um, gut smashing sounds terrifying. It is. It is. It's it's basically taking something that looks like a uh, soccer ball and rolling on your stomach on it. What we're seeing is that the psoas gets tight, the obliques get tight, everything is very, very short in the front. Check this out. If you br bring your elbow up to your face, okay. right? Now, just bring that, lock that elbow at 90 degrees. So your arm is, your upper arm is parallel to the ground, and now your hand is straight up to the sky. Got oh, that? Got it. Now, let's hold that for eight hours. Hold that for eight hours. <laughs> That's what's happening when you I sit. I don't want to. <laughs> your, hip, your hip is mid-range. That's what's happening when you sit. Your hip is mid-range, right, and your, and your leg is bent. So if you kept your arm in this position, for eight hours, what do you think is going to happen when you straighten out your biceps? Oh, it's so stiff. Well, well, no crap. I mean, that's what happens when you sit. That's the same position. Okay, so what do you do on an airplane? Like, I know you don't just sit there in that airplane seat. What do you do? You know, I do what I can do. I, you know, I, I try to go long and stretch out. You know, I, I just, the idea is, can I get any movement? You should see how many times I squeeze my butt on the airplane just to try to like keep things moving, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think the worst thing you can do is just kind of plop yourself into the seat and pour yourself a Bloody Mary and then, you know, dissolve. I don't think that's a, a recipe. You can do that, but pre be prepared on the other side to really suck. I always get off an airplane with uh, lower lumbar pain. Am yep. I, how am I supposed to be sitting in that stupid, awful, horrible chair? Well, notice that you that position is a disaster so what do you what can you can you sit cross-legged probably not you know the idea is changing your position a lot try to keep your abs engaged if you can you know we we do a thing where we actually hook the seatbelt pretty tight across the lap and then we lean into the belt so make the belt tight and then imagine kind of doing a, a subtle bridge into the belt. And that can take a lot of the load out of your back. Dude, powerful I'm in. Okay, so the belt's going across your hip bones, basically, not yeah, your guts. Okay. That's right. It's across your hip bones. And then you tighten it up a little bit more than you think. And then you just lean into it. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize it, it takes a lot of the extension load out of your back. And the bottom line is when you get to the hotel, you know, you should then roll out. You should, that, that's when you start working on some of those tissues that are pulling into extension. So I need to travel with a soccer ball, obviously. You need to travel with some kind of ball. And we, we make a travel ball. It doesn't matter. Something that looks like a softball is the right size. Okay, okay. Something softball size. And you can roll on your belly and on your guts and you're not going to be popping anything. Uh, let, me, let me know when that happens to you. <laughs> Kelly, shoes, footwear. What do you wear all day? What do you recommend for running? Uh, I, you know, you should be something flat all day. We just watched the World Cup, right? Every single one of those girls on Team America was in a flat soccer cleat. No one seemed to matter that they were running 5 to 10K in their flat soccer cleats. Isn't that weird? <laughs> not, not to me, because I got uninjured when I stopped wearing fancy shoes. <laughs> well, you know, the idea is, hey, look, our, our model is you should be flat all the time as much as you can. And, and in, in that, I would say be barefoot as much as you can, especially around your house. When, whenever you can be barefoot, be barefoot. And then if you don't, make sure that you can get as flat a shoe as you possibly can work on. Right? Yeah, because and, men think when you say high heels, men think women, but men are in heels. Men are in heels. And you're, you're born with your heel flat on the ground. You should be able to be flat. And then, you know, the running shoe matters less because my running technique should be independent of what's on my foot. Ah. You, get, you get me? It doesn't matter what I'm picking up off the ground necessarily. You know, I use the same strategy to pick anything up off the ground. And the same thing should be true in your running. You should be able to run in combat boots. You should be able to run in barefoot. You should be able to run in any shoe. But what I can tell you is that most people are not prepared 
to go flat and run because they just don't have the tissue strength or range of motion for that. And so honestly, what we recommend is, hey, slowly come down. Get smaller and smaller and flatter and flatter and flatter. You know, I, I'm a big guy. I'm like 109 kilos. And what I can tell you is I can go run a mile barefoot. And it doesn't, nothing freaks out. Why? Because I have the range of motion to do that. And if you are afraid to run a 400 meters barefoot, you know, we have a real problem. This is like filling a champagne glass with a fire hose, and it's awesome. <laughs> so thank you, Kelly. <laughs> I buy the champagne glass with the fire hose. Wait, what's going on? I am definitely the champagne glass. <laughs> All right, tell me this. What's one habit? It's like a practice you want us to take on for seven days. You can't. There's not a single habit you need to do. I'd say people, if you could do this one thing for me, this is a little bit of a shocker. No technology in the bedroom. No iPhones, nothing, no iPads. Your room needs to be black as the night. It needs to have no light in there. It needs to be cold. And you've got to get your phone out of your room because that's, that's messing up the quality of your sleep. If we can get you sleeping more, we see a lot of downstream problems clear up. Sleep is is a big, big issue for us. Love it. Love it. Thank you no, so much. No, no tech in the bedroom. None. No TV, no tech. Love it. Okay, what's one resource, it can be anything, Kelly, that you love that you want to recommend? One of my friends has written a great, simple book on uh, fascia and soft tissue. It's called The Role Model by Jill Miller. And um, I think that's a really accessible book to give people who can, like, it's not based on exercise or movement. It's a base, it's a really simple approach about pain. And I think if we can get people starting to treat themselves, starting to think that they have a voice in the, their health care that goes beyond medicine, I think they're going to be really, really shocked. And that, that book, The Role Model, is definitely something I'd take a look at. Okay, I'm going to include that, and I'm also going to include the links to Becoming a Supple Leopard and then Ready to Run. And Kelly, I can't wait to have you back on to talk about Ready to Run because it is a manifesto. So oh, I'm looking forward nice. to Thank sharing you. that. Thank yeah. you, thank you. Absolutely. All right, tell everybody where they can find you, my friend. We are at MobilityWOD, and that's W-O-D as in Workout of the Day on Twitter. Our website is MobilityWODWorkoutoftheday.com. And you know, if, you, if you Google us, we have a pretty beefy YouTube channel. Becoming a Supple Leopard is a pretty powerful Betty Crocker cookbook of how you should move and fix yourself. And we want just people to initiate a conversation about this. You know, that you should be able to identify what a good position and bad position is the same way you can identify if someone's a good driver or a bad driver. All right. I'm going to make it really easy for people to get to mobilitywad.com and to your videos because your YouTube, uh, your YouTube presence is really, really robust. And I think especially with what you do, Kelly, the visuals are enormously helpful. Yes. Otherwise, you know, we, we try to, we try to make it fun and we've taken a lot of cues from some of the best communicators on the planet. And, uh, one of the things is we realize that this is a very dry, very boring topic, but it shouldn't be. It should just be dorky. Hey, listen, becoming a supple leopard is like one of the sexiest topics I've ever, <laughs> like, like you figured it out, man. You worked out how to get people's attention. Kelly, thank you. I could chat with you all day. I can't wait to talk about your second book with you. And I really, really appreciate you. Hey, thank you guys so much. Catch you later. Okay, everyone. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.